And our sermon text today comes from the book of Hebrews, which is found in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. You can find this reading on page 941 of the Pew Bible, 941. Uh, this December, we're focusing on those passages in the New Testament that speak of Christ's majesty, uh, how great he is, uh, that though he became a baby, yet there is more to Jesus than that. And so this one is a, a beautiful one. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 today from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. There was a study done in 2017 at the University of Exeter in England, which earned somebody a PhD uh, about spontaneous singing. Now, spontaneous singing different than planned or organized singing. So what we've done this morning so far is planned and organized singing. Spontaneous singing is when you just burst out in song into, in your daily life. And uh, in order to get a grip on why people do that, they studied the spontaneous singing in preschoolers in this study. They took 15 three- or four-year-olds, and they secretly recorded audio of their playtime at home for about 10 straight days uh, or more. And they ended up collecting 180-some-odd hours of audio in total of the kids playing. And out of those 180 hours, over nine straight hours were nothing but singing. Uh, they had not prompted them. They, they weren't telling them they were studying their ability to sing. They just automatically did it for nine straight hours of audio. Isn't that true about three- and four-year-olds? There's something about them. They just sing. They sing when they play. They sing when they color. They sing when they read. They sing, sing, sing. Well, I began to think this week, what if someone over the next 10 days followed me around and recorded me? Or what if they recorded you, everything you said for 10 days? How many of the hours would be occupied with singing? And if you would sing, what would you sing about? These are important questions, I think, because Christmas, if it's anything, is a time filled with song. 
There's Christmas songs playing everywhere we go. They're all about, most of them, about the birth of Jesus. And that's fitting because the first Christmas when Jesus was born was filled with song. In fact, the shepherds learned of Jesus' birth by angels who came out in this giant chorus, this choir, this army that was shouting, today is born in the city of David a Savior, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. What a song the angels sang. Well, here in Hebrews, if you look at chapter 1, verse 6, you see this passage is an explanation of what was going on that day when Jesus was born and the angels sang. Because it tells us in verse 6 that when God brought or when he brings his firstborn into the world, when he brought Jesus into the world at Christmas, he said, let all God's angels worship him. And so I think this morning, if we back up a little bit from verse 6 and look at the rest of the verses, we're going to see three reasons why the angels sang, and we should too. So look at your bulletin. These are the three reasons, and then I'll talk about them one by one. First of all, we should sing because God has spoken his final word. Secondly, we should sing because God has purified his sinful people. And lastly, we should sing because God has crowned his supreme king. Let's think about them together. First of all, the angels sang because God spoke his final word. Look at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 introduce us to the God who speaks. This is one of the most fundamental things about God in the whole Bible. God speaks. God communicates. He, he tells human beings true things about himself about themselves, and about the world. And he's done that over a long period of time. You can see there in verse 1, long ago, God spoke through the prophets, it tells us. And he spoke that word to our fathers, referring there to the great men of faith that were a part of the Israelite nation in the Old Testament. This is speaking about the Old Testament period where God picked uh, people to be prophets. These were chosen people who received the word of God directly from him and were to give that word exactly as they received it to the people of Israel. That happened, the writer tells us, at many times God spoke. Many times, in many different occasions, uh, as, as if to say, uh, in installments, God spoke to us. He didn't speak all at once. He spoke in installments, little bit by little bit over time. Each new revelation adding to what came before. And so God spoke a little bit to Adam and Eve and a little bit more to, to Noah and a lot more to Abraham and even more still to Moses, a little bit more to David and a whole lot to the prophets from Isaiah to, to Malachi. The whole Old Testament is that treasury of the words that God spoke in installments over a few thousand years in the Old Testament period. And don't you know that in the Old Testament it came in many ways. Uh, it's as if God wants to communicate to people no matter how he does it. Because in the Old Testament, he speaks all these ways. Some of them are weird ways. I mean, he, sometimes he speaks through dreams visions, sometimes audible voices. Most of the time he has someone write down what he puts on their heart, the exact words that he lays on their heart as a burden that they have to unburden themselves by writing down. Uh, one time he spoke through a donkey. 
Uh, he appeared as a cloud of fire and uh, that filled the temple and guided the people around at night. I mean, these, these are amazing methods that God used to communicate to people. What was the point of all that? Well, the angels knew what it was. And, and we can know what it is, too, by reading it and by studying it and considering it. When Jesus was born, the angels sang because they knew on that day all that God had promised all those times through all those prophets was being fulfilled completely. Look at verse 2. Long ago he spoke by the prophets, but in these last days, in the final days, he has spoken. Notice the perfect tense there. He has spoken once for all. He's spoken finally by his own son with a capital S. Not just a prophet, not just another person picked by God, but God's very own son. The one who was appointed to be the heir of all things because he was God's chosen mediator between us and him. And the one through whom he had made the world before he was ever born. This one who is himself God came into the world and revealed the last final a truth that God wanted to bestow on the world. You can know God through Jesus Christ. That's what the message was. You don't have to be in the dark. You can know me. You can know who I am. You can know what I'm up to. And you can know what your place is in that plan. Jesus told his disciples, Now that you live after I have come, you are like a man who has in his collection both treasures old and new. And you can pull out of your treasury anytime, old things and new things. Meaning this, as Christians, we're so blessed. We have the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, old treasures, new treasures. You got treasures. And each of those treasures points to your God and shows you how you can know him, how you can walk with him. You may have heard the saying before, no news is good news. Do you believe that? Well, you believe that until your loved one goes on a trip and they haven't answered your text in maybe two seconds. <laughs> These days, right, we're really in, interested in immediate responses. Sometimes no news is not good news. Sometimes what you want more than anything, you're desperate for news. If you think about it, a God that you can't see, a heaven that you cannot see, promises that you cannot touch, we're desperate to hear about them. And the Bible says God has, in fact, spoken many times. And in one concluding and perfect manner through Jesus, his son. You do not have to live in the dark. That's the good news of Christmas. No one has to live in the dark about God or about how to live their life. Everybody can have light what, a, what an awesome thing that is. And yet, what a tragedy it is that so many live in darkness when that light is shining. That light's been shining for thousands of years, and yet there are still people that live their lives in darkness. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's someone that you know and love. The human heart, man, it is so stubborn, ain't it? It is stubborn. After all, what did they do to the prophets? 
And what did they do to the son? And so even today, what do they do? What do we do to the Bible? All of us apart from Jesus. What do we do with God's word? We neglect it. We dismiss it. It's, we would rather go our own way than to have the light from heaven. We consider ourselves, catch this, and, and this is, it should be funny to us that we say stuff like this, but it's not funny because we really mean it. We say we're too busy to read the Bible. Now, you should laugh at that because such a thing is not possible. Too busy to hear from God? Too busy to let the light of heaven shine on your earthly life? I can't believe it. And yet I've said it a million times. Have you? One early church father, I read this this week, and it was so amazing to read this because he preached this sermon in the year 300, about 340. That's a long time ago. You know, that's, that's 1,700 years ago. And listen to what he said on that sermon, which could have been preached today. He said to his congregation, you stand every day in battle. You're constantly liable to be wounded. There are surrounding us on all sides many causes and occasions of anger, many of anxiety, many of dejection and grief, many of vanity or pride. From all quarters, weapons are pointed at us. Therefore, it is that there is a need continually for you to have the whole armor of the Scriptures. You need the Bible. You're too busy not to bring out of it treasures old and new. Your life is too important to waste away without the light that God has so shined on this world by speaking through the prophets and by speaking finally in his son. The angels sang because they knew God was making good on his word when Jesus was born. A light was shining that would never be put out. Do you sing over that? Now, secondly, I want you to see that the angels sang because God has purified his sinful people. In verses 3 and 4, it tells us that's what Jesus came to do. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. After making purification for sins. Purification. Uh, all parents in here know there are some stains that are hard to get out. Am I right? You know it as soon as the stain appears on your kid's clothes. It's probably not going to ever be the same again no matter how hard you try. Uh, to me, I, I find Kool-Aid to be among the worst of all stains. I don't know about y'all, and I'm not even really sure what they make that powder out of, but it is like a dye, a, a, very, a very permanent dye that is really hard to scrub out. Of course, there's also the usual suspects of grass and blood and all that. You can't get it out. Even when you get it out a little bit, you can kind of still faintly see it. Well, when it says here that Jesus came to make purification for sins, what it's telling us about sin is that sin doesn't just make you guilty, which it does, and it doesn't just make you liable to judgment, which it does. Sin also pollutes you. It, it makes you dirty. It stains your heart. It stains your life. It stains your hands. Everything that we touch becomes infected with the rebellion that is so native to our hearts. And this is a stain so deep. I mean, deeper than Kool-Aid. 
so deep that the only way that it could be brought out was by the one who is the radiance of the glory of God. Are you following me? Look at verse 3. The radiance of the glory of God, the one who is the exact imprint of his nature, one of absolutely perfect purity and oneness with God the Father, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Only that one can get the stain out. That's how deep the stain of sin goes. That's how unremovable it is by our own efforts. And yet the reason the angels sang, remember what they said to the shepherds? Unto us is born today in the city of David a, what? A savior. One who is going to be able to wash the stain. And you won't be able to look at our lives and even see the faintest hint that the stain was there when he's done with us. He washes it like no launderer could bleach it. The blood of Jesus has such infinite value as it was offered in our place as a sacrifice. And the reason it had infinite value is look at who he is. I mean, again, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's exactly what God is. He is God, God the Son, and the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. Uh, He is the Son who perfectly reflects all that his Father is, just as his Father perfectly reflects who he is. The one whose very word right now keeps the galaxies in place. Used that power to scrub sinners so that God might have a people for his own pleasure. All those who believe in Jesus get washed this way. All who believe get washed this way. It doesn't matter how deep the dye of your sin is. It gets washed this way so thoroughly that Jesus was able, after he did it, to sit down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When you're doing a job at your house, say, say you're trimming the hedges or vacuuming the floor. While the work is still being done, do you sit down? No? If if we could find a way to sit while trimming the hedges, that'd be wonderful, but it's not, I don't know of a way. If you could find a way to vacuum while sitting, great. If I could ride a vacuum around, that'd be fun. But no such thing that I know of. You sit only when what? You're done. And I'm not making too much out of this because the book of Hebrews goes on to make a great deal out of the fact of Jesus' seated position in heaven. It's not just me making this up. It goes on to say that the seated position of Jesus indicates that as a priest, he does not continue to have to offer a sacrifice because his one sacrifice has been good for all time. And so he can stop working. He can sit. That means you and I aren't partially purified, but fully and completely purified by the power of that infinitely valuable blood. 
And so this morning, there's, only, there's really only two ways to try to purify your soul from the stain of sin. There's really only two options available to you. There's either the option of going your own way and doing it by your own efforts, the do this and you will live option. Or there is the Christ's purification option, the believe in Christ and you will live option. And the two could not be further apart. And you can't have them both ways. You have to have one or the other. Uh, either you're going to do this and live, and you're going to ask yourself, well, what is the this that I have to do? And the Bible is going to say the law of God, and you're going to go to the law of God, and what are you going to discover? I haven't done it. And I, I can't do it perfectly. It will never be satisfied. The law will never be satisfied. Please hear me out. God's law will never be satisfied by your attempts to obey it. If you're trying to live by it. You'll only go to it and hear, not enough, not enough, not enough. Try harder, try harder, do better, do better. Why aren't you better? Why aren't you better? And it'll make you a slave. But, listen, if you'll look up and see Jesus seated on the throne and have Jesus' purification given to you, if you'll receive that by faith, believe this and you will live. Not do this and you'll live. Believe this. Your heart will be set free in a whole new way. Here's how. You'll go to the law and it, and it will no longer just be a slave master saying, do this, do this. You haven't done enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. Try harder. You'll instead hear this word. Oh, my son. Oh, my dear adopted daughter. You are cleansed. This law has already been kept on your behalf. Now I've come to give it to you, these instructions, to help you learn how to live in a way that's good for you and glorifying to me. Come and obey, but come and obey knowing you're washed, you're loved, you're received. The angels sang because a salvation had been accomplished. A sinful people had been purified forever so that heaven will be filled with pure people one day. And not one of those pure people, except Jesus, are pure on this earth. And yet when they get to heaven, their purity will be equal to that of the angels. This is what the blood of Jesus is able to do. And so the angels sing, do you? Now lastly... The angels sing also because God has crowned his supreme king. Verse 4 tells us that Jesus, having been seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, is not just a priest who has finished his labor, but he's also a king who has been uh, given a name above every name. Having become as much superior to angels, even angels can't hold a candle to Jesus. He's become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is significant. The name of a king carries his authority and it carries his power with it. So if someone were to say, for example, uh, in the name of the king, I say, right? 
That is saying, my message is not mine. My message comes from the highest place, and it carries with it the highest authority. You should receive it. You should accept it. You should obey it in the name of the king. So when it says here, Jesus received a name greater even than the name of the angels, it's saying that Jesus received the name of the king of kings and lord of the lords. Jesus received an authority that is second to none, and he receives a power that is second to none. So that not only did he secure and finish our salvation when he came the first time, but he now ever lives and reigns to share that salvation with us, to apply it to our lives with his power. A power that cannot be thwarted or cannot be hindered. Jesus Christ this very day works in this world on behalf of his people that he purified. And he lives to give us all things that are necessary for our salvation. And he lives to guide us in all we think, say, and do. What a king. It tells us here he's superior. He's excellent. More excellent even than the angels. Uh, those two words are used a lot in the book of Hebrews. And I know this is not the beginning of a series on the letter of Hebrews, but I just want to give you a flavor of it because it's so good. Thirteen times in the book of Hebrews, he uses the word superior or excellent to describe Jesus. Here's what it says. Here, he has a superior name above all names. Later, he's the superior priest, the very last priest you'll ever need in your whole life if you have Jesus as a priest. He gives to his people a superior hope that can't be shaken. He, he administers a superior covenant between us and God, which is based on superior promises. He serves in a superior temple or tabernacle, not on earth, but in heaven. He offers a superior sacrifice. He gives to us a superior possession that nothing can take away. He enters us into a superior country or nation in heaven. He has a superior resurrection. He gives us superior privileges of access into the heavenly throne room. And his blood is a superior bloodshedding, even better than the blood of Abel, who was innocent when he died. Jesus is better. What a, what a king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, a name above every other name. And when the gospel is proclaimed to you, and when you come to the table later and receive the, the gospel symbols, the signs, they come in the name of this king. So that if you receive this by faith, you will live. King's word. King's honor. That's how, that's how amazing the gospel is. It's founded on the greatest one who ever was, whoever is, and whoever will be. Isaiah tells us the name of Jesus in that great Christmas passage, or we call it a Christmas passage in, in Isaiah 9. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the government will be on his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. No end. Wow. 
The story goes that when Handel's Messiah was first performed in the 1700s, King George II, who was there, stood during the Hallelujah Chorus. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. He stood up. Everybody else was seated, seated because he heard it saying, King of kings, Lord of lords. King of kings, Lord of lords. And so the king stood in the presence of a greater king. I always loved that picture. And even today, if you go watch the Messiah performed, everybody stands at the Hallelujah Chorus, and that's supposedly the reason why. It's a good message. To sing with the angels at the birth of a king means we learn to stand in awe of the presence of the king, to submit ourselves to the rule of the king, to sing the praises of his name. What would it be like in your life, for example, if instead of if somebody comes to you for help or counsel, which happens to all of us, um, what if instead of just having human advice to give them, you had wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace to offer them as well? Wouldn't that be so much better for them and you? I'll tell you what, it takes a whole lot of pressure off that you don't have to be the answer to their problem. Because you're pointing them to one who is. Uh, what if your song through the week was not just, you know, songs about how great humans are, which is what most songs are about. But what if your song was also about how great he is? The Lord God, the Almighty, who reigns through his son, Jesus Christ. What if that filled your household, those songs through the week? That's what this is inviting us to. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he told the angels to worship him. And if he told the angels to worship him, do you think he tells you? The angels sang. What would it be like if the next time you felt a need in your life, instead of just simply complaining about it and getting all nervous and going into what might happen mode, what if you went to the king with your request, knowing that a king is honored by the greatness of the request brought to him? Right? The greater the request, the more honoring it is because you're saying, I believe you can do this. I believe you have the resources to meet this. And so don't bring small prayers, bring big prayers. What would that be like in your life if you brought big prayers to Jesus? What if the main question of your life was, Jesus, how can I honor you as my king? What if next decision you made, instead of just thinking of temporary pros and cons, you thought of how to please the eternal king? What if instead of seeking only things on this earth and the outcomes of this life, what if you sought heavenly things? After all, those are the things that Christ died to win you. What would it be like if you valued what Jesus values most? Because he paid for it with his blood. What if you honored what he made honorable by his sacrifice? By saying, I'm not just going to live for here and now, but I'm going to live for forever. Teach me how to do that, Jesus. Wow. The angels sang because a king was born on that day. And they knew what we are discovering, that the world will never be the same again. And they knew that everybody who joins their song 
learns how to sing of something that is better, superior, and more excellent than any other thing. Satisfying. If you're counting this morning, the angels sing for three reasons. First, Jesus is the greatest prophet who ever was because he is the very word of God. Jesus is the greatest priest In fact, the one and only and last priest you'll ever need if you have him as your priest because he offered a sacrifice that never has to be repeated. And finally, the angels sang because Jesus is the king who upholds the universe by the word of his power and is able to bring you all things needed for this life and the next. The angels sing. Do you?